Welcome to episode number 39 of Off the Shelf. This is for my free men whose backs won't bend in the lion's den. Now with their eyes on the end, and this is for my free women. They fight with their love, the powers of our children. Free men whose backs won't bend in the lion's den. Now with their eyes on the end, and this is for my free women. They fight with their love, the powers of our children. We shine like lights, exposing what lies underneath, decomposing. On adult chains that are rusted, oh sweet Lord. Is that what I trusted in? That sin, that tomfoolery? Uh, what is this mental jewelry that I adorned myself with? Hi, my name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of the Off the Shelf podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to ask questions and to help you, our listener, find the answers to those questions. We want you to know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Off the Shelf is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. Off the Shelf is now being heard in over 100 countries, and we are glad you could join us. Joining us on this edition of Off the Shelf are Paul and Kathy Jenkins from Ohio. Paul's dad, Lonnie Jenkins was a well-known minister and a good friend in the message, and Paul was a song leader for many years at Believer's Christian Fellowship in Lyme, Ohio, where his brother Jeff was the pastor for 35 years. Paul and Kathy, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's good to be here. Yeah, thank you, Rod. It's nice to nice to be here. So how long have you guys been married? Well, this month will be 36 years. So you're coming up 36 years. Well, that's uh, that's fantastic. How many kids do you have? We have four children and nine grandchildren. Okay, well, you've beat me by one in the grandchildren department, and they're uh, they're a real blessing. Oh, they sure are. Yes, they are. (laughs) So we generally start off with a couple of questions that we ask everyone, which usually I think most of our listeners are interested in, and that is, how did each of you come into the message? Maybe, Paul, we'll start out with you. Well, I I came to the message when I was 14 years old. I was living with my dad, excuse me, I was living with my mother in California. Mom and dad were divorced when I was very young. And so uh, I came to visit my dad one summer, as we often did. And that particular summer, I felt a drawing towards the Lord. And uh, so naturally, um, dad being a religious man, mom not being a religious person, if I was going to move towards uh, towards the Lord, it would be towards my dad's religion which was happened to be the message. So I was uh, I came to the Lord uh, via the message that way. So your dad was, was your dad in the message at the time? Yes, he was. Yeah, he was in the message. He came into the message in 1966, and I came to the Lord in 1973. Okay, so that's a few years later. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the first time we met. You were I mean, Jeff was traveling with your dad, and and they lived out in Cloverdale for a while. So we we got to know them really well. But when did you move to Ohio? I moved to Ohio, and I believe we moved here in '83. Yeah, it was '83, August of '83. And Kathy, how about you? How did you come into the message? Well, my family came in when I was 10 years old. Um, some of our relatives had been to a few of William Branham's uh, his healing revivals and his meetings. And they started witnessing to my relatives saying that they thought this was a great man of God. And, you know, they thought he was a prophet. 
And so we ended up coming in to the message um, then. So, yeah, I, I was only 10. And where, where were you living at the time? Uh, we were living in Texas. And so how did, how did uh, you and Paul meet? Well, let's see. We met, first time I met him was in Tucson at a, at a young people's meeting. And then he came up to Texas and he was um, traveling, building motels at the time. And so we met there and that's where we got married. Okay. And Paul, you were living in Tucson with your dad at the time? Yes. I, yeah, I lived in Tucson from 73 to 81. Okay. And I think it's about the same time that dad moved to Cloverdale. Was it about 81 or 82? Now, are you older or Jeff older? Which one's the oldest? Jeff's older than me. Yeah, Jeff's got me by a little little under three years. Okay, okay. So describe how you felt about the message while you were in it, Paul. Well, in all honesty, when I I came to the message... um, I was in a, in the drug, getting into the drug culture at a very young age. I was 14, uh, and I just knew I needed God. Um, and so when I came to the message, I really came to Christ. Uh, I was surrendering my life to Christ, and it wasn't until I got older and started studying the message and listening to tapes that I realized uh, that it wasn't just uh, standard, ordinary Christianity. It was something, quote, special, uh, and I put that in quotations, um, so my thoughts about the message, you know, through most of my years studying it was that it, you know, it created this uh, select group that were, uh, you know, chosen by God to receive this end time, you know, prophecy, end time message situation. And, uh, and so my feeling of it was that I was, you know, that it made me feel special. Um, it made me feel like, you know, God had selected me out of, you know, millions in the world, but, uh, you know, as we study and learn, we realize that maybe wasn't quite the case. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Kathy? Um, well, for me, um, I loved the message with all of my heart. Um, I believed it. I believed every word of it. I lived it. And I felt like that it was very, very special, um, you know, as far as Christianity goes. I felt like being the bride was just the most amazing thing that I couldn't imagine how God had chosen me to be able to believe that William Brennan was a prophet and to believe that, you know, all of these secret things he was telling us that that I was one of the people who was able to to hear this and, and believe it and, and put my faith in it. So it was like I was the elect and and part of the bride. And that to me was just absolutely amazing. I was I was humbled by it, but also I just I felt like it was very special. Yeah, yeah. Even as she said, you know, I love the message with all my heart. And, and had you asked me four years ago, would you ever leave the message? My answer would have emphatically been no, never, 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 because I believed it with all my heart that it's the truth. And uh, it, it never was a matter of couldn't live the message. That's often what people say when you leave. Oh, you just couldn't live it. That wasn't the case at all. You know, we lived it. I almost feel like I'd say like Paul did. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Well, I was a message believer of the message believer. Living it wasn't wasn't at all the issue. Um, we came under its rules and regulations gladly, thinking we were doing God a service. Uh, so um, it's just, you know, to, to say that we 
left it because we couldn't do it or whatever, that's not the case at all. So uh, I mean, that brings me to another question, which is when you were in the message, how did you hold what William Branham said as compared to what the Bible said? Uh, was the Bible above William Branham's word? Were they on par? Was one greater than the other? Well, I always had a problem when I would come up with something in the Bible that I felt was different than what William Branham said. Um, I always had a problem with it. And often I would go to dad with it and say, dad, what about this? And he said, well, we just got to take what the prophet said. So because dad was kind of my mentor, I would begrudgingly always the Bible reigned and got put on the shelf and the message reigned supreme, uh, which is so contrary to the way Christianity is supposed to be. I think that's a very good point because, um, you know, we've, we've titled this podcast off the shelf because we are taking all of those things that message ministers would constantly, constantly tell us to put on the shelf. Those things that we really, we saw were, were at odds between scripture and what William Branham taught. And in fact, what that actually does is elevates the message above scripture. Sure it does. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, there was a time that, that I was reading something in the marriage and divorce book and I asked um, dad, uh, Brother Lonnie, I asked him, I said, now dad, what about this, what Jesus said in the Bible? And, and I looked up the scripture and I read it and I said, Jesus said this, and, and that's not what Brother Branham teaches. I said, I said, what do you do with that? I said, this is like in red letters in the Bible. And he said, well, we have to take what the prophet says. And of course, I accepted that as an answer because that was an acceptable answer in the message. You know, you did take what the prophet said because he was the he was ultimately the absolute because he was the only person who understood the Bible as far as, you know, what, what we, our, our belief system, you know, that, that he was the only one. So dad, um, you know, he said, you have to, I have to take what, what the prophet said. And he even said, I would love to preach that, but I have to stay with what the prophet said. And I, that stuck with me just it kind of in the back of my mind, I thought that is just kind of an odd thing for a Bible teacher to say, you know. So that that was something that stayed with me. Strange thing about it, Rod, is that you know, now having come out and reading my Bible now without message glasses on, I had no idea how many scriptures I believed wrong. I had no idea how many things that I was seeing through uh, message glasses. And if you put those scriptures back in context, they're just, they don't mean anything like what, what William Branham said they meant. It's just, so my Bible's a whole new Bible to me right now. I'm just, I've fallen in love with it all over again. It really is astounding when you actually, as you said, take the message glasses off and look at the word of God for what it really says, as opposed to what you've been told it's supposed to say, how in some ways startling it is to read the truth and 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 really, really come to an understanding of how badly you misunderstood it and were taught things that really had had no foundation in Scripture. Exactly. It, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Studying my Bible, um, not only have I studied my Bible, 
but I have studied the message more since I left it than I ever did when I was in it. And what I mean by that, I listened to tapes every day from the time I was 10 years old, almost literally every day. I just listened to tapes. I love the tapes. But when I, when I left, I started comparing the things that William Brenham said to the things that were actually written in my Bible. And, and it was astounding that how he took those scriptures out of context and twisted them to say something they didn't say. And every single time he does that, he points it back to himself. He has a way of bringing it right back to himself, no matter who he's talking about in the Bible. It ends up right back to him. And so that's something that since I've, I've left the message, you know, I've, I've been able to really dig into it and see what was wrong, the things that he told us that aren't actually biblical truth. You know, the, the definition of a cult, uh, one of the definitions is a religious group founded by and built upon the teachings of a religious leader whose authority is viewed as being equal to or greater than the Bible and whose teachings are in opposition to the doctrines of biblical and historic Christianity. And clearly, that's where William Branham placed himself. The crucial part of that definition is that the authority, and in this case, the authority of William Branham, and the message is viewed as being equal to or greater than the Bible. Because if you can't disagree with William Branham, then the Bible takes the back seat because when William Branham is at odds with scripture, William Branham's going to win. He's seen as the voice of God. I mean, the, the guys that publish the books, they even call themselves the voice of God recordings. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And we viewed him as the voice of God. That's why when he said something that was contrary to the Bible, the Bible had to go on the shelf because he was he was considered the the absolute even though he claimed the bible was the absolute and people will say that even in the message oh no the bible's my absolute but when it comes to what william brenham says that is um contradictory to what the bible says they will choose him every time yeah yeah and i've mentioned this on a prior podcast i came to see your dad paul when my questions were basically overwhelming and i thought Lonnie had always been a, a, a good friend and a guy I could talk to. And in fact, when I was coming through some of the issues that I was wrestling with, because he had spoken a sermon, basically looking at the various translations of, of the Bible and saying how the King James Version was the best translation and that all of these other versions uh, were not as good. And I took exception with him. I actually wrote him a, a lengthy email. He actually call, called it an essay. <laughs> but the thing I appreciated about him is when I wrote him my essay, he uh, wrote back to me. He said, wow, Rod, I hadn't realized that my research had basically been one-sided. And because my research was one-sided, I haven't, I may not have arrived at the right conclusion. And so he was prepared to go back and look at his, uh, you know, his, his research. So I, I appreciated that in him. And when I kind of asked him some of my 
very, very difficult questions that I had no answers to with respect to William Branham. You know, issues like the failure of the municipal bridge vision, the brown bear vision, and, and I, w I could go on and on oh, yeah. with the dozens and dozens of questions that we had that had no good answers. He basically said, you're right, those are all very good questions, and I don't have any good answers for them. So I appreciated his honesty, which is not what I get from most people I've talked to in the message who uh, get very angry when you ask them questions that they don't have a good answer for. Well, the thing of it is, is um, I've often thought that maybe William Brown actually had a three-part scheme in his, in his strategy to part one being to make himself the authority on the scripture uh, and to make uh, part two being to make all other denominations, belief systems, whatever, wrong. And part three being to create enough fear that if you dare to question him. And if you can do those three things, there's no doubt you can create a following. And that's to me exactly what the message does. It, it creates this this fear and, and questioning, um, and, and because you've already established William Branham as the absolute and the authority on the scriptures, um, and all other systems wrong, then where else could you go? That's, that's a very good point, because what, what you see quite often in Branham's uh, ministry is this fear and, you know, we have people who will say to us, you know, during William Branham's lifetime, no one dared question him. Actually, everybody left him yeah. because they went in there, they heard there was all this fear and they just bailed. And in fact, he would say, very few people in my church are from Jeffersonville. They were all people from outside who were enamored with him and nobody would say anything against him. And when people you know, would say, well, you know, what about this? Nobody ever said this. Nobody rose up against him. The people that were with him weren't anybody who would ever question him. And if they even had that thought, there was so much fear in their minds that they quickly put all of that, any questions aside, as most people in the message do today. So I think the questions that people ask sometimes are just the wrong questions. It shouldn't be, why didn't anybody question them? It should be, he had hardly anybody I mean, if you've ever been to, I, I, to Jeffersonville, I think the most surprising thing for me was how small the church actually was. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's tiny. Tiny, yes. very tiny. Very small. And the guy had the audacity to name the church after himself. And he tells this funny story about how the people wanted it, but it's actually, you can prove that the story's not true because the church was just originally called the Pentecostal Tabernacle. It was renamed sometime you know, uh, in the late 30s, or early 40s to the Branham Tabernacle. And I, I suspect it was probably the early 40s. We've never figured out the exact date. But certainly in the late 30s, when Hope Branham died, they had the service at the Pentecostal Tabernacle. It wasn't called the Branham Tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. right. So he's clearly got some pretty severe narcissistic tendencies. Yes, you know, there's another there's another thing when he traveled from church to church, um, he could say whatever he wanted from one church to the next because back then it wasn't as easy to compare notes and as it is today. But he could travel from one church to the to the other all across the country 
um, saying whatever he wanted, telling whatever stories he wanted, and come back to Jeffersonville to his little group of people and tell them whatever ever he wanted to tell them, and they just simply believed him. Yeah, I agree. And 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 the fact that we actually now have the ability to compare using the computer version of the of the message, which is actually really interesting. Probably most of our listeners don't realize this, but I was involved in probably the first version of that ever to go around. We we were this is even before MS DOS. We were using this was before Windows, before uh, MS DOS. We were using uh, Z80 chips and a CPM operating system, and had a computer. We actually helped fund putting the message on the computer, and we were using these very rudimentary computer programs to search the message. And, and I was involved in that like right from the start. And I'm very thankful now that we've been able to use that tool to compare what William Branham said and find every story he he told on an issue. And, and you're right, some things like the Municipal Bridge Vision, he never told in Jeffersonville until the 60s, I think. I can't remember the exact date, but a lot of these places he would tell in various places, but he never actually told them at close where people actually could tell where they're telling the truth or not. Right, exactly. You know, the amazing thing is that, you know, here the, you thought when you were building that search program that you guys were creating something for the message people to be able to study the message. Absolutely. We didn't realize, we didn't realize that God was doing something so that we could use those same tools to dissect the message and prove it wrong. That's exactly correct. It's been a wonderful tool. Yes, it became the deliverance for so many people to escape, you know, a religion that, that was built upon false, false pretense. Paul, what was your experience in coming out of the message? What started the process? Were there any specific things that created problems for you that you just couldn't ignore? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, Kathy and I started... Uh, we were thinking about moving from Lima um, to uh, go to a different areas. So we started thinking about churches that we would be willing to go to and looking at all the churches. And, and I know we knew a lot of ministers, you know, being in the circles that we were in, we knew a lot of pastors. We knew a lot of ministers. We knew a lot of church, different churches. And we had narrowed it down that there was only two churches in the entire message that we were willing to go to. Um, and that was problematic for me. Because, you know, here we, we're in a, a movement that's supposed to be the movement of God. And yet, out of hundreds and hundreds of churches in the United States, there's only two that we were willing to go to, one of which is the one we was attending. So really, there's only one other place we were willing to go. And part of the reason we felt that way is because we saw so much bad fruit coming from message ministers. We saw, I mean, we made a list. Kathy made a list one day of all the message ministers that we knew at the time, and there was only two that we knew of that didn't have some kind of either sexual sin in their life or some kind of bad hang-up, two out of out of all that, that that we knew. And so at some point in time, when you see that many bad apples hanging around a tree, at some point in time, you got to start examining the tree. Um, and so that was Years before we left, we just thought, you know, there's something wrong here, but we never would. I was never willing to attribute it to the message per se. Uh, I just thought there's maybe it's just what man has done with the message is how I would reason with it. 
Yeah, and, and that's easy to rationalize to one to oneself, and it's part of cognitive dissonance. When you when your worldview is firmly established, anything that might create problems with that worldview tends to get ignored quite quickly. Oh yeah, that's exactly right. So those are some of the issues that we started seeing. Um, and so that that was probably five years before we left. But at, at the t even seeing that, I would have still said, I'll never leave this. It's, it's the truth, regardless of all the fray and, and foam that's going on around it, it's still the truth. Um, so that was, but it was still sitting in the back of my mind, we've got a problem here. Um, but I, I really attributed that problem to the fallacy of man, not the fallacy of the message. So I wasn't, uh, you know, like you say, cognitive dissonance is fully in play there. So I wasn't, I wasn't really willing to um, take a hard, solid look at the message. Some of the discrepancies that were coming up that made me start being willing to look at it. Kathy was really the first one to, um, and, you know, between the two of us, he was, she was really the first one to take a hard look at the issues within the message. Uh, I was, uh, maybe I considered myself, I had just way too much to lose. Oh, I don't know what it was, but I was, I was basically unwilling to look at it. We generally try not to go past a half hour, so maybe we can close off our conversation here and then pick it up in our next episode. Paul and Kathy, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And for all our listeners, please come back next week for a continuation of our discussion with Paul and Kathy Jenkins. Yeah, thank you very much, Rod. Thank you, Rod. And thank you both. For our listeners, if you'd like to send us an email, there's a link on the offtheshelf.life website, or you can email me directly at rod at offtheshelf.life, or you can reach Brian at brian, with a Y, at offtheshelf.life. The Off The Shelf website also contains a comment section. We've got people putting in comments every week. You can go to the title of the podcast on our website. It'll take, click on that. It'll take you to the page for that specific podcast. The comments section is at the bottom of the page. Have a great week, everyone, and thanks for listening. The enemy's gifts, the man-made myths, the ignorant bliss of marijuana splits and alcoholic fips. I got so sick and tired of it. Delivered and redeemed by Christ, I mean. It's time to start living and get a reason for the rhyme. I don't want to be dead wrong on the deadline, standing on the dark side and all out of time. Like a blind pen of mine, fantasize, climb up his own ladder through the sunshine. Nothing's mine that hasn't been given. No one's alive here that hasn't been risen. For 19 years, I was trapped in a prison. Fiend in my escape by means of derision. But every man-made attempt just failed when trapped in a jail of my own guilt, shame, and iniquity. I was looking for freedom. How'd I find freedom? Christ.